This is Montclair Talk, an in-depth look at the issues, people, and ideas at the heart of the community. I'm your host, Christopher Bowe. Today on Montclair Talk, we speak with Maciel Rodriguez-Vars, Executive Director of Montclair Fund for Educational Excellence, on efforts to lessen COVID vaccine hesitancy in local minority communities. MFEE's COVID Vaccine Awareness Project will use a mix of trusted community relationships, tailored information, and new community health workers to ensure communities of color are comfortable with and benefit from available COVID-19 vaccines. The ambitious initiative takes MFEE in a new direction and could provide a model for future efforts to improve health and education outcomes. Maciel, welcome to Montclair Talk. Excited to be here, Chris. That's uh, really a pleasure. Um, well, the MFEE's COVID vaccination or COVID vaccine awareness project seems to have gone from announcement to implementation. Uh, mm-hmm. I saw that you were actively hiring a part-time community health worker, or at least posted that position. Mm-hmm. So um, that's very exciting. It's 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 all happening. I I, I wanted to start by asking. If you could just please take a moment to describe what the Vaccine Awareness Project is, uh, and then we'll get into later about how you guys ventured into this into this world. But just quickly start with what the what the project is. Sure, and we are so excited. We actually have already hired um, three part time community health workers. Um, they've just come on board and they are primarily responsible for executing the campaign, which is uh, a broad multimodal campaign to provide addition, you know, to provide information and awareness uh, about the COVID-19 vaccine to members of our black and brown communities uh, here in Montclair. Um, as you know, most of us know that the the information, um, you know, first of all, black and brown communities are, are disproportionately impacted by COVID. Mm. Um, you know, it is certainly, um, that is true in Montclair. It's playing out in Montclair, sadly. Um, you know, we just lost uh, a very young man to COVID yesterday, and it's utterly, you know, just tragic. Um, and really for us, has just given us a greater sense of urgency to, to bring this work out into the community. And so, um, as I said before, it is about making sure that we all have the information to make an informed choice about whether or not to get the vaccine. Um, and so our three community health workers are meeting with faith community leaders, nonprofit partners, you know, sports leaders, um, uh, our senior citizens. We've been working with uh, the COVID task force for the township and Mountainside Hospital, Montclair State. Really, it's about, you know, how do we, um, like I said before, get the information to black and brown folks in a way that will resonate um, and in a way that, uh, you know, that they can trust the information. So they're building our health workers are building what we call a health equity street team, um, really engaging uh, a diverse group of messengers 
um, and ambassadors who can, you know, bring the information to folks um, through a variety of ways, a social media campaign, as well as print media, as well as just one-on-one conversations and small group conversations, some in person, outdoors when it's nice, and some virtually through a series of virtual town halls um, that we'd like to structure more as small group conversations, um, and then an outdoor event uh, in June. And really the heart of it, as I said before, is bringing the information and and also creating a space for folks who have very valid questions and concerns, mm-hmm. um, you know, given the, the institutional racism in our health systems, in our government, right? There's um, se- several instances where black and brown folks have not been treated well um, by the medical community. Um, and so that undergirds this this campaign. And it, it really is about, like I said, delivering the, the information in a way that folks can receive it um, and can ask questions and feel comfortable with the folks who are bringing the message. Um, so that's that's what the campaign it's, is about. Uh, there's, a, there's a lot to talk about there. Uh, mm-hmm. I'll start with um, one of the most inter- interesting things to me has been how did a local education fund venture into the community health, uh, vaccine hesitancy, public health information world. Um, that, that's quite, quite a stretch from what you have been doing, but a very interesting adjacent area. So just talk, uh, love to hear about how this came about and, um, how, just the evolution of the whole pro program and project. Absolutely. So really, you know, uh, MFEE for the past few years have been doing leading conversation circles uh, that lead to action around issues of race and equity, primarily in our schools, but really in our in our community more broadly. Um, And one of our board members has been, you know, uh, a significant part of that work. She herself has been part of the the learning circles. And, um, you know, in December, as information was coming out about the COVID-19 vaccine and um, there was, you know, folks were talking about what this might look like in the rollout in in Montclair. Um, She started asking the question about, you know, how are we as a township, what are we doing as a township, um, you know, to ensure that our black and brown community members not only have access to the information, but are also, you know, for those who may have difficulty registering um, and getting to vaccination sites, like what's 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 being done. Um, and at the time, you know, I think that there was still organizationally, the township was trying to figure out some things and some other local partners mm-hmm. were, were thinking about, um, you know, what they would be doing. Um, and we were not looking to kind of take a lead in the space we were looking we were asking the question how we could be supportive right and to be a collaborative partner um through those conversations we were uh, made aware that the department of health was actually looking to engage community-based organizations to help with uh, vaccine awareness and um we had the opportunity to apply for funding to bring in three community health workers um, we asked a couple of organizations to see if they were thinking about taking on the work they weren't in a position to really um, apply for the funding. So we really wanted to bring the resource into Montclair. And if we got the grant, then, you know, 
we saw that that would be a huge bonus um, to any of the organizations doing the work, and right. and really we could leverage those resources as as a collaborative uh, group. Um, so we were very lucky and fortunate um, to get the grant, uh, and have been working feverishly since then to put the plan into action, and have been doing the outreach with our you know collaborative partners, other organizations in town, and like I said, Montclair State and Mountainside and the township. Um, and so that's how it came to be. We did we did kind of wonder whether this was our lane, but then when we thought about it, because um, at the end of the day, you know, having our families healthy and safe is fundamental to supporting their educational experience, right? Um, right. It's it's so also it's, at the heart of equity a lot of the times. Uh, socioeconomic conditions. Um, uh, lots of different structural and cultural conditions that that affect education overall so i see it but it is it it, it is an interesting uh stretch initiative i guess in the idea of stretch goals yeah and i have to say i think you know for me as well as as the executive director thinking about you know we have many initiatives that we're working on you know cuz is this really um like I said, is this is this our lane? And as we started thinking about it, and really the importance of making sure that our, our kids and families are, are healthy and safe is fundamental. And also, you know, in the in as to be able to um, increase the likelihood that we can go back to school safety safely. Yeah, uh, the vaccine is is you know a huge it's factor. Paramount, really. Yeah, exactly, and so it became clearer and clearer to us that this is absolutely you know work that we um, we can be you know. In, involved in it and with our community health workers now and bringing them in, we are seeing, you know, how um, much value it brings to our work because we were already doing work directly with families and through some of the other programs. And so now we have this incredible resource that is in-house, so to speak, that we can connect families to. Um, and, and people are hearing about the work people that we didn't even, you know, think would be kind of in the radar and they're hearing about MFEE through this campaign. And so, um, it's very synergistic and, and I think, you know, kind of it's, it's working out to be a really valuable part of the work that but we're doing. It puts you on a different plane as far as community awareness, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. And, and like anything in life, it's almost, sometimes you don't know how your skills apply more broadly, mm-hmm. uh, when you're just in the trenches doing what you do and suddenly you realize, oh, my skills are apl- applicable over there. Uh, Absolutely. So, And the connections are great. I mean, the, like we had, you know, we're tapping part of the reason I think we were able to secure the funding was because we have had incredible relationships with, you know, a range of stakeholder groups through the different work that we've been doing. So we already had existing relationships with Mountainside, Montclair State, you know, the NAACP, Mm. faith community leaders, the preschools in town, Head Start program, Neighborhood Child Care Center. Like we've been sowing those relationships through a variety, you know, we've been doing family conferences, teen conferences, the the larger, broader uh, work around issues of race and equity. We've had, we've been building those relationships. So we wanted to be able to tap into those relationships for this work as well, because they're going to be, they're vital to being able to kind of create a, a health equity street street team to find messengers and ambassadors. We can tap into those relationships really to help to build the campaign. So, and, and now we're finding that, you know, there's just reinforcing those relationships, in this particular work. The, 
I'm not sure if you can answer this question, but what do we know about the level of vaccine mistrust and hesitancy in Montclair? Uh, Is there any data? Is there any sense, maybe even anecdotally? It'd be very interesting for people to hear about that. what you know or have heard or have been, what's been conveyed by the Department of Health in the state, um, and particularly in the underserved communities, which this project is targeting. Absolutely. So we've been, um, the, the really beneficial part of the Community Health Worker Initiative is that um, the three folks that we've hired are right now going through a training that the Department of Health has put together. So they have to complete 144 hours of coursework. Hmm. Um, and um, a unit of that is specifically around COVID-19. Um, so understanding you know, the disease, understanding the research and unpacking you know, the, the, the various um, variables that impact hesitancy and, and really just very valid questions and concerns, right, from our black and brown communities. So they're in the process of really studying that. But uh, even as in preparation for it, we have gotten materials from the Department of Health as well as the Ad Council has, you know, they've they've been doing data um, collection over the past year. And so we're digging into some of that in terms of the, the you know, the range of concerns and questions that uh, I think, you know, some black and brown folks have. And remember, these are, you know, we're not monolithic groups, right? Like yeah. the black community nor the Latinx community is a, is a monolithic group. So there's really many layers. Um, but just to kind of get a sense of, give you a sense of what we are hearing anecdotally, and that is also showing up in some of that data that we're getting from those those sources, um, you know, there is, again, you know, the 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 history of racism is deep and, and that is enough. There's a lot of distrust there based on what's happened historically and people's firsthand personal experiences with racism in, in the medical industry, right? Um, it, it is, and um, you're, you know, when you're putting something in your body, something that, you know, many and, and many feel it was quickly done, right? That's another right. one of the concerns, right? That the vaccine was just developed so quickly. And, and, and that is that there's some huge distrust there. You already are starting from a level of distrust. This was quickly done. Um, there are a range of uh, health concerns that, that are disproportionately um, a challenge in some black and brown communities where there's diabetes or hypertension, mm-hmm. right? Like how is that going to be, how are those conditions going to be impacted by the vaccine? Um, and so I think, you know, those are some of, will I get my family sick? Will I get sick? I don't, I can't afford to, you know, some of us have gotten flu shots and been laid flat by that, right? There's a concern is that, is the vaccine itself going to make me sick and, and make me lose time on my job or make me lose, you know, kind of the ability to care for my family. Those are just a, a kind of a few of them. And, um, I think that, again, you know, part of what this campaign is about is really trying to meet people where they're at and really as much as possible trying to have small group or even one on one conversations with people to create a mechanism and a structure where people can share their concerns um, and, and try to unpack that with somebody. The Department of Health has put together this really powerful um, kind of infographic and related material to help us understand kind of the journey that someone takes when they're thinking about, you know, taking the vaccine or not. And it starts, you know, from this, this idea of awareness building. Um, And then, you know, kind of there's a phase of like a little bit of doubting and debating Mm -hmm. um, through kind of partial commitment to, you know, committing. And then, um, 
And we, you know, I need to emphasize this is not, again, this is not about kind of uh, forcing or pressuring uh, folks to take the vaccine. It really is about giving the information so that when people are on their journey, they can make that informed decision. Um, And again, and it really is deeply rooted in finding a cadre of people who folks trust in this community, in Montclair, to start to hear the to, to give the information and to hear their questions and concerns and really help them navigate that journey. Yeah, what, one of the things I saw this in a paper written by some NIH scientists, um, mm-hmm. and they succinctly put it: it was com- it's complacency, convenience, and confidence that mm-hmm. are the three stumbling blocks. And one of the things that I didn't quite fully appreciate was that people's experiences in healthcare their medical interactions play a very large role in vaccine hesitancy, particularly in uh, minority communities. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's one of those things that I personally would never think of, although I've had some <laughs> medical experiences where you're like, I don't know if this is the best service I've ever gotten. Uh, um, so anecdotally, I, I guess what you're saying is that people have all of these factors influencing why they might be on the fence. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that it is. It's, um, um, you know, there isn't one kind of core reason. There are many. And and part of this, the work of the, of the community health workers is, like I said, trying to unpack that with folks and meet folks where they're at. Um, and, you know, an additional layer for, our, for some of our Latinx communities members um, is the, a real fear that if they you know, are registered to get the vaccine, yes. what happens with that information? Yes. Because there's a real distrust and fear of, of you know, of um, conveying your information to a public entity. And you're, you're you know, especially if you're an undocumented person, um, that's a, that's a scary prospect. I've heard um, this, I've heard this from physician friends of mine. Um, I've heard it from a variety of sources that that mm-hmm. is, this, that's a significant hurdle there as a matter of, and as well as this, like, persistent notion that it literally lives out there in the community that there are microchips being mm-hmm. injected into you so you'll be tracked. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, it sounds completely conspiracy theory world, but I guess it's a real a real issue. Yeah, I mean, we can see, you know, very recent examples, right, where, you know, we've had children in cages, and then they're not connected to their families after this. So it doesn't feel that far fetched to think that something really horrible could happen if you put yourself forward, um, um, you know, to receive a a, a vaccine, but that you are, you know, you could be you're on the radar, right? Or who's on your side, too. Uh, Right. Yeah. So any, before I move on, is there any sense, I've seen some, uh, the, the national data is actually quite fascinating. It's like, even without COVID, 25% of the population says they don't want to take a recommended vaccine at all. I mean, that was before COVID. And now we've got eight to 10% of the population vaccinated and 24% are still probably no or a definite no, which is I mean, that's really eye-opening and the numbers go higher with African-Americans. Um, it, is there any sense at all that these numbers are holding up here or they're better here? Um, I, you know, I, I think those numbers are holding up here. Um, (laughs) and you know, it really is, I believe the township actually also, um, 
they secured some funding from the Department of Health as well, and they have two um, new staff members who are looking at data um, in Montclair specifically, um, just to try to get a sense of, you know, where are folks who um, might, you know, kind of looking at the range of, of variables that might make them less likely to want to take the vaccine. And that, to be honest, I don't know what data points they're looking at, but they're yeah. they're collecting that data to get a better um, sense of the landscape so that they can, you know, we hope to partner with them so that we can, you know, can target um, campaign awareness um, with those folks and in those communities. Um, but I, and so I'd be curious myself to find out what the township is doing in terms of trying to get a sense of, of what, what, those percentages on the national scale look like in Montclair. Um, and I think that they, you know, like I said, I think they're doing some data collection there, but just anecdotally from the, the folks that we're already starting to meet and conversations that we're starting to have, um, you know, I think there is some real concerns about the vaccine. Hmm. We have, I know some, some staff members um, in our public schools and our preschools who are very concerned about taking it, knowing still that like it's, it's vital, um, to be able to get back into schools. Uh, but at the end of the day, there are some real personal, um, um, concerns about, about taking it. Um, and as you said, I think, you know, it's, it's so layered, um, and, and much of it does stem from prior experiences with healthcare professionals. So how far are you from being fully operational when, and, and what does that look like? Uh, I know you talked about, you know, uh, gearing up, hiring the people, the kind of the training they're going to be doing, what they're broadly, what they're seeking to do. But, um, do you have a, a sense of a timeline when you will be, uh, up and running full speed and, and what that looks like? Yes. So I think within the next couple of weeks, we'll have, so what that we're focusing now is um, having conversations with a, a broad network of our, our ambassadors and messengers um, to craft the materials, the campaign materials. Um, so we're hoping to finish that within the next couple of weeks. And then we're hoping to have a, an outdoor launch on April 12th um, with the preschool community. Um, so talking to, you know, kind of um, the, the local preschools and really targeting families with our young children um, as as an outdoor launch. Uh, we've also been working with Anne Lapel, who is um, uh, head of the, one of the COVID task force, and and collaborating with their efforts to reach senior citizens. Um, and so I think within the next couple of weeks, like I said, we'll have the materials, which will allow us to start you know disseminating information um, and. And tapping into you know already the re the ideas that we have for for getting the word out, um, coupled with that out outdoor launch on April twelfth. So, are you do you have to create these materials from scratch, or does anything arrive from the State Department of Health? Or, I mean, there must be warehouses full of information created on COVID. I, um, yes, but. Uh, maybe it's all to be tailored to the community. I don't know. Uh, what 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 are you doing there? So that is that that is kind of the uh, that is the approach is to tailor it to Montclair. So we are absolutely right. There are great resources, and we have them. You know, we've been studying those resources and unpacking them. Um, like I said, both from the Department of Health in New Jersey, as well as um, the national campaign. The Ad Council has partnered with the CDC to, and they have incredible toolkits. Um, really 
customized toolkits to address, you know, the faith communities, to address Latinx communities, to address African-American communities, um, younger generation, older generation. So we're looking at all of those toolkits, but really customizing them and targeting and giving them like a Montclair voice um, because we find that hyper-local that's a hypothesis, that hyper-local messaging delivered by trusted ambassadors in this community, Black and Brown communities members in this community, has the highest likelihood of penetrating folks, of, of, of uh, being heard and being re- and, and resonating with folks. Okay, that's that really interesting. About. So the hyper-local cuts through yes. any sort of, because I, I don't think people fully appreciate, I through some of the other work I do, the CDC is people think they're going out and finding these viruses and that's the only thing they do. They're actually a gigantic communications operation. Mm -hmm. So I get it that they're, they've created all this stuff. So, but hyper local cuts through some sort of more broad, you should get a vaccine because um, we're concerned about you. It's literally talking to them in there uh, in local terms, I suppose. I, that had never yeah. crossed my mind. Yeah, and so that's those are the conversations we're having. So we have a very, we have a massive map of stakeholders, uh, groups, and individuals underneath, and just individuals like. Um, you know, we're working with Dr. Renee Baskerville, who's been in, in town forever and is also, you know, a medical consultant. Mm-hmm. But she has, you know, incredible ties and relationships to people, and really thinking about who are the people in the neighborhood that folks look to, you know, for a variety of, of different reasons, like, and how do you enlist them to help you craft the message and deliver the message? And so that's what we're working on right now. We're taking the, C- the CDC information, Department of Health information, the Ad Council information, and so that, and, and then really translating it so that it, it into a Montclair kind of, um, into Montclair voice um, and thinking, you know, so the campaign that we're looking at right now would be one, for example, you know, we hope to put together a series of short videos that um, give some information that, but that also kind of helps us think about how we get back to enjoying the things that we love about Montclair, whether it's our, you know, eating out or the festivals or playing or praying, you know, really thinking about all those things that we want to get back to um, and highlighting some of our local, you know, restaurant owners or, you know, like I said, coaches mm-hmm. or just, you know, get back to grandma and a grandma that, you know, folks know that's been around in Montclair, right? Like when you see people that you know giving you this information, you're going to stop and take it in differently than if you just play the kind of canned ad council CDC videos that point you to a generic CDC website that somebody put together, right? So um, we're using that to inform the messaging, but the messaging has to be hyper-local and it has to be delivered by people that people trust. That's the hypothesis. Well, I can see a lot of lessons coming from that for all kinds of walks of life or different initiatives. It's pretty interesting. Mm -hmm. Any challenges that you see in implementing this kind of program? Have you encountered anything? Do um, uh, do Do you foresee finding things you didn't know, um, uh, in, in implementing it. Um, uh, what have you seen so far? Yeah. I mean, I think the biggest challenge is, um, kind of building the plane as we're flying it, uh, because there is such a, there's so much urgency 
Um, and this really, you know, needs to be happening now, now, now. <laughs> and um, and the grant period actually for this campaign is really short. It's from now through June. Um, so we feel uh, like, you know, we we have to get up and running in incredibly fast. And I really hats off to our community health workers who really have hit the ground running. Um, so I think that's one of the greatest challenges is that, you know, we, we're, we have to work very quickly um, at, you know, kind of crafting the campaigns, um, getting the voice. And, and, and that takes time, like talking. It's a lot of interviewing. It's a lot of reaching out to groups. It's a lot of focus groups, uh, because if you want the message to hit home, you have to understand kind of what what's the fabric out there? What's the landscape? What what are people going to really resonate with? Um, and that takes time to build. But we're you know trying to build that quickly. Um, and then just, you know, executing uh, really quickly. I think the the greatest opportunity for this work is, again, and what we've been so um, pleased with and really inspired by is that there is an enormous collaborative spirit in this town, particularly around this work. And I think, and that was what our hunch was, and that was really our primary motivator That's for applying for the funding, was that we just needed to get the resource in town, and then we could sow the network. Um, to get the work done. And it, and that's proving true. Um, when you say that the grant goes through June, it, um, does that mean that you have to show that work is completed by June or the money spigot goes off in June? Uh, both? <laughs> what both. Is it? So the, yeah. So you had to have developed a funding plan that could be executed quickly um, and that certain deliverables could be accomplished before June. Um, so that's, you know, there's... Um, so we have, we've mapped that out and we're on track to, to get those deliverables uh, done. Um, the What we're hoping is that there is a chance that the Department of Health will continue, you know, provide another round of funding so that the work can continue, this particular work can continue. What we see, and again, part of the reason that we applied for the funding was because we think there's a real value to having community health workers in this town. And even beyond this particular project, we would love to see our three community health workers, you know, tied to other nonprofit organizations. And I'm, you know, we're thinking from the lens of students and families, there are many organizations organizations that work directly with our students and families and to have the resource of a community health worker kind of connected to them would be invaluable. You know, whether you're a tutoring group or you're doing drama or you're doing, you know, kind of social supports or, you know, if you have a team of community health workers that is, has been trained, has experience working with families, knows how to communicate with families, can be that bridge to health resources. Well, that would be just incredible. So we would love to- That is veering very close. I don't know how much you know about population health, but that Mm. is veering into, that's really interesting because- the, the idea behind population health is that you have connections into the community where you can ward off um, negative health outcomes before they ever happen. So more preventative. I mean, I guess in the everyday parlance, it's it's uh, preventative medicine, but it's more than that. It's a how can we be healthier to ward off high cost health and painful health interventions. Um that that is very intriguing. It goes right to my next question. I mean, what does this say about the future of MFEE? Um, can you see it evolving into something broader, or maybe even health disparity or community health oriented? Yeah, I think what it's teaching us, and you know, this whole year, um, you know, has taught us so much as an organization. I think you know we've always been. Um, a community connector. We've certainly been a grant maker to our district and to our staff. 
Um, what this past year we've been doing um, so much more direct service work to our for our students and families, and it has taught us that we have a real role to play here. Um, and the community health worker piece, especially, has taught us about the importance of being a holistic organization, an organization that can holistically support students and families, what that looks like and what the opportunities really um, come with that. And, and they're enormous because, again, I think if we look at um, our role of supporting students and, and families really broadly and what it means to show up to school, ready to learn, ready to access all of the opportunities that a Montclair education provides, you got to look at that holistically. You can't just look at it. It's like, you know, we're going to provide a grant for, for computers and hotspots, which are important, but that's not going to necessarily reach the whole child. And we have the capacity to reach the whole child. Nor does, does it solve equity? I mean, are you sitting on the, are you sitting on the mechanism to actually make a dent in the equity gap or the, or the, uh, the achievement gap. Right. And I think that's exactly right. Um, that Chris, that, you know, and again, that ex- the experience of really deeply thinking about, um, what it means to address issues of race and equity also points us to that conclusion that we really need to be thinking about the child holistically and, and what is needed for a child to, to access services and to access the, the rich opportunities that, living in Montclair and being in our schools can provide. Um, so that's, I, think, uh, I, I don't want to, I don't want to ask a question that's potentially unanswerable, but does that, how, how do you keep the health, the community health worker structure in place then? Um, is this, it almost sounds like that's the, the strategy. If you were going to take this and evolve MFEE into the future, something like you've said revolving around that community health worker structure would be a real path to making a real impact and Mm -hmm. any thoughts on how I mean I know you're hitting the ground running trying to get this thing done but any thoughts on how you might keep that up and operational absolutely no and I think that it would have to be um first of all I think that it's an investment right investing in our community health workers to do um, to bring this value add to our community, to our students, to our families, is an investment that multiple partners um, could be a part of. So I think that you know that would be the pitch to you know kind of a broad group of stakeholders to invest to make sure that we we don't lose this resource. Um, and so you know I I am thinking about how we keep the that structure in place. Um, and I think it you know at the end of the day it just will take a commitment of resources, and, but. You know, we have that in this town. We just have to sow that network of of um, of folks who are willing to invest to keep the resource here. Um, you know, we have the structure. We have the ability to connect them to all of the groups. Um, we can set that up. That's not, you know, th- that we're we're doing and will continue to do. Um, it's just making sure that we have the resources, you know, and the funding to make sure that that they're they become uh, hardwired into the the ecosystem. Right. Is, is this the missing piece, so to speak, mm-hmm. um, in getting, mm-hmm. finally making a dent here? Um, yeah. Any change in your vision then? Um, do you think you, you, you have a broader mission now? No, I mean, our mission is pretty, has been pretty broad. I think what we are seeing is that we can 
execute it. Um, you know, it, we're, we're learning how to execute that vision um, and that we can do that. We have the capacity um, to do it, um, that there is a need for it um, and that, that we can, you know, play a role um, in more holistically supporting our students and families. Um, so the vision, it sits squarely within the vision of Montclair, of MFEE and within our mission. Um, what we've been doing this past year is really um, kind of looking at new innovative ways to execute that mission. Um, yeah. Is, uh, on, a, on a broader note, um, part, part of what you're dealing with or part of what you're trying to solve is trust in science and institutions. Um, do you see that changing through this? Uh, can you make an impact where that trust might, uh, particularly in institutions, because that goes directly to the educational piece? Um, can, can you make a dent here with, with changing trust in the institutions and uh, uh, beyond the science of vaccinations? Yeah, I think we can, because I think that, and you're absolutely right, that there's a parallel, right? The distrust of medical institutions with respect to the vaccine exists in with some of our families um, with our school district, right? A real distrust mm -hmm. um, that the district has their best interests at heart. Um, and some for some of our families, there's a direct Exper uh, negative experience that has, has fostered distrust. Uh, for other families, there's just a lack of attention and a lack of kind of being welcomed uh, that has sown those seeds of distrust. Um, so I see that the community health workers really are starting to build those relationships, not just with the health community and the health institutions, but they can also help build those relationships with the, the district as well. Because at the end of the day, what, what sows trust are you know relationships and that's the core of what the community health workers do is they start to build those relationships with people they're a person that shows they care that can speak their language that understands where they're coming from that can connect them to resources they deliver right and so they can be that bridge between individuals and institutions. And I think that that's exactly what we want to continue to test. So we're actually piloting or beginning to build another pilot um, specifically for our Latinx students and families um, who are a population that really don't, we have very, very few resources for, for that group in our school district right now. Um, and we are working with the district to, to think about how we build those those resources up within the district. But we're also developing an initiative that we're calling Navigadores uh, Escolares, so school navigators, um, which are kind of similar to the community health worker, right. but specifically in the school space. So, And they would be basically their school navigators. They're people that would build the relationships with families, meet them where they're at, understand kind of the range of needs, and be able to connect them to resources within the school system, everything from, you know, registration to how to get a, a parent-teacher conference, making sure that they have a translator, a guidance counselor meeting, right? Like to also, you know, your kid is interested in art, awesome. There's an art museum in town that has incredible classes and we, you know, maybe there's a scholarship opportunity or a soccer ship or whatever, right? But navigating those opportunities 
is challenging if you don't speak the language, if you don't feel welcome here, if you don't have a computer, right? Everything's online. Um, you know, if you're afraid of giving out your information, if you've got somebody who can help you navigate those systems, then, then you not only are starting to build trust with the institutions, but you're also just directly getting the services that you need. So that, you know, we're learning a lot from the community health worker model as well to support students and families in schools. That's it for this edition of Montclair Talk. Stay tuned for future episodes ahead. And thanks for listening.